Okay, everybody, welcome back to The Wages of Cinema, our first main episode of the year! Yeah! Yeah! I mean, we, we came back and did an episode about The Hateful Eight, which hopefully uh, you tuned into that. Um, and, uh, I mean, I could have more thoughts about that, but the first, the other thing is that you saw Star Wars again. Yeah, I saw Star Wars again. Good! Good! You, you did your duty as an American consumer. <laughs> Well, I, I, <laughs> consuming the product that America gives you. Yeah, basically. I I, uh, I wanted to see it with my brother, mm-hmm. so we went to a screening again. Yeah, that seems to be the the, the thing that's gonna that's now made it. Uh, like it's it that it didn't happen this weekend, but by the end of this week, it will be the top grossing film of all time in the U.S. Yeah, not counting inflation, right. just like but looking at the actual numbers. Right. Like, if you count inflation, I mean, they'd, they'd have to pass Gone with the Wind. Right. But that'll never happen. <laughs> because Gone with the Wind, like, uh, the ghost of Clark Gable will come up and strike J.J. Uh, Abrams down. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a... You know what, no, 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 no. You know what he'll do? Clark Gable will appear like the uh, the ghost Obi-Wan. <laughs> Clark Gable and the ghost of Obi-Wan will fight. <laughs> Yeah, he'll just pop up out See, of like behind a couch, like in uh, his entrance in Gone with the Wind is just like he's in the room where I don't even know why I remember this because I saw Gone with the Wind a long time ago, but like Scarlett O'Hara comes in the room and she's acting like her bitchy self and like throwing a tantrum and she throws something at the wall and all of a sudden Clark Gable pops up behind a couch. He's like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> he doesn't say those words, but um, yeah. But anyway, Star Wars. Um, yeah, I mean, I had seen it again as well, uh, since the last time we recorded. Um, I think in general, I, I liked it. I liked some stuff more, and then other things bothered me more. Yeah, other things bothered me more, too. Yeah, I, I'm still bothered by, um, again, for, this is for people who have seen the movie. If you, uh, haven't seen it, if you're one of those few that haven't, and maybe you are out there, don't listen. Uh, okay, good. Um, I... I'm still bothered by how quickly Ray suddenly has her force powers. That's part of my problem too, but I think it fits within a much bigger problem. And what would that be? All right. Is it is it like is it like sort of the convenience type of thing no. that comes with a movie like the this? The problem is with Ray's character. Mm. She I I watched the I watched Star Wars. And I saw this happening, and I'm like, wait a minute, no, this doesn't seem right. And I finally figured out Ray is she too perfect? Ray is a Mary Sue. Oh no! So you, oh she you, is. you subscribe to the Max Landis theory? I'm, I, I didn't want to. I saw like a thing. I saw like an article once. Like I read the headline. You didn't watch the video. With no, him, I though. didn't. I didn't watch the video. Okay. I didn't even know it existed actually before yeah. this moment. Ma- but. If you listen to Max Landis, it's weird how he sounds just like John John Landis, but a little whinier. <laughs> <laughs> like you hear, him, he's like, "But she's a Mary Sue." Right. It's. <laughs> uh, but I've I, I came to that conclusion myself, uh. and I, and as the plot as the plot points racked up, I, I realized, yeah, it's true. She all right. She and I listed this out for a friend who was who was quite shocked. At what I was saying, but it's like okay, she she fights pretty well as we see in on Jakku. She yeah. fights off those two guys trying to get BB-8, and then like she pilots the Millennium Falcon almost perfectly, hmm. and then she helps fix it perfectly. 
Han Solo offers her a job on the Millennium Falcon, which she turns down. And then on top of that, she's a Jedi who also somehow can use the Jedi mind trick and then later defeats Kylo Ren in a lightsaber battle. Yeah, I... It's... Here's my problem. They... The first half of the movie, you're not given really any much of an indication at all about her Jedi ability. She just seems like... No. Okay... I can buy that she must be capable and self-reliant if she's had to be on her own and yeah, build I up a tough that. skin about being a scavenger. That's fine. But do we know that she's piloted before? That no, she just has don't. this sense? I mean, Luke actually, yeah, he, he's able to, you know, pilot the X-Wing, but, and we're people, le- but, and, but he's had experience, like, flying or having and kind pe- of things And people have there. at least said that... You know, I understand such, that you're, you're a great pilot about... myself. Like, yeah. For actually, I always wondered about that. How did Obi Wan know that? I don't know. It's just, but at least he <laughs> maybe said he's it. always been watching him or something. I guess. Maybe. But but yeah, there was some but the, indication. You know what they what they needed to do. All right. So she has that sudden flashback when she touches Luke's lightsaber in what's her name Maz Kata. When she touches Luke's lightsaber, Lupita Nyong'o. Um. She touches Luke's lightsaber and gets all the flashes of things, little snippets from... It might be the past. I also think it might be the future, because she sees, like, the forest or whatever. Right. Maybe. Um, that, again, that's so unclear. If she had been... Ha- if they had given her a thing where she had... It, it's visions. part of her character. Yeah. She has visions. Yeah. Like, maybe she's... Imagine she's sitting by the... Uh, that broken Her down uh, walker. Yeah. And she suddenly, maybe she has a dream or has these visions. Then you have something. Yeah. Like, again, you know what the problem was? They probably were worried about the fans comparing it to Revenge of the Sith. Because that's what uh, Anakin has. I don't think that's he a has problem, those, He has those visions of Padme and Pain. Um, but I think with if you had had that, at least you would have established something about her character that... If you had she built... has this kind of mental connection, or she has some kind of deep-seated thing, but you don't get that in the first half of the movie. She's no. established as just, okay, I'm a, t- I'm a capable, tough woman, but how am I capable, the... tough woman? I just go into ships and find parts that I can get and money for. And she can for. fight well. But I mean, if there had been like any sort of groundwork for her having some sort of force powers or yes. being a pilot, yeah, I think we can agree on that. This it's just a problem of the script, and I real and I actually figured out a way for them they could have gotten around it, but it's too late now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I don't want to. I think I'm, I'm not going to get into how we could rewrite no, no, episode no. seven but, just but the, less than a month after it came out. But the problem too is that. On the one hand, they didn't set up enough things with her. No, but they also then they, gave they also much. left they also left things presumably that will be I guess explained or resolved in episode eight. Which, but that all does, right, that that's... might that might you might be saying okay, well it's a full trilogy, but no, this should work as its own movie. Yeah, at the end of a New Hope, there's nothing that unresolved. No, there's nothing about like okay, we know that Darth Vader flies away. You know, he gets knocked away or whatever. We don't have the thought, oh, what happened to him? Is he going to die? You know, there's, there are no unanswered questions at the end of A New Hope. There are at least a few un- unanswered questions by the end of The Force Awakens. Right. Although, and this bothers it, me it, more it, than my complaints I had in the review because this is, this is a problem that, that people can 
can clearly see. But then there's another problem that I realized. And it's a shame, Remember too. how I was talking about last time the character of Captain Phasma? Well, She yeah. doesn't do anything. She's, but an that's, action, she's an action figure. Right, but that's not the real problem. She disappears from the film. Well... So do they actually do? You, I guess they do. They send her down the garbage compactor. But that's the thing, we don't know. And and literally through a trick of editing, she disappears. And yeah. I realized this. As I, I yeah, was going you're on. you're yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm beginning to think they didn't know what to do with her. No, that's not the problem. This is indicative of a much bigger problem. There's something strange about the editing of this film. Well, that's why... And I, well, I noticed I, this more, because... Well, I said in my... I noticed it, too, in the second time around. Again, I find... Even even taking even taking into account the problems with Ray's Mary Sue-ness, as you say, like, I still was taken in by the sense of excitement and the kind of propulsion of the story in the first act. Yeah, so, like, I think the so first act is pretty strong. But by the third act... That same sense of propulsion is going fo- forward and forward, but it gets jumbled up. You're still going between these different storylines, right. and you're trying to resolve things, but it's just it's overstuffed. It, the, the third act is kind of a mess. Yeah, I mean, there are pro- like this happens during the X-wing fight. It's like the, all the X-wings yeah. are fighting, oh, that, that, and I think all of a sudden, the most. and then I realized like the last time I had saw- seen the X-wings, they were fighting Tie Fighters up by the planet, and all of a sudden I see them up in space the next time. Yeah, and then when Ray and and Finn they escape from that building, they left Kylo Ren behind. But then all of a sudden, as they're running away, he's in front of them. It's like, how did he get there? Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, on the one hand, and it's I, like I I'm wanna... not. I don't even know that much about movies and editing, and I realize, <laughs> hold on, there are some problems with how these things are being edited. Yeah. And, it, and I don't think it's a big problem in the first half of the movie. This It happens mostly in, in the second half, because I guess it's because it loses focus, it gets a little overcrowded, and... I almost chalk it up more to problems in the script, because J.J. Abrams is a good director. Yes. I'm wondering if, you know, at, at a certain point, he was just working with what he had. And also, it seems like a problem in a number of his movies, I've noticed now, uh, Into Darkness, the third act is a really a mess. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw Super 8. I did. By the end of Super 8, it becomes just a gigantic, uh, um, what was the, it becomes a gigantic circle jerk for Spielberg. <laughs> Even though he produced the movie, it feels slavish. I haven't, I don't remember Mission Impossible 3 very well, but I, I feel like, you know, throwing lots of cool things and throwing in that, you know, death scene... You know, there's lots of things that happen, but yet, uh, I don't, a, a friend of mine, we were talking about the movie, and he was like, well, you know, they, they presented the themes of the movie well, but there, I, I didn't feel the magic. And I know that sounds corny, but I can't feel, feel it. That sounds corny. Yeah? It feels corny to me. Uh, I don't know. Was there... I think what he meant was maybe there wasn't... It's a little imprecise, but, you know, that doesn't mean he's wrong. No. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think what you could mean by the sense of magic in Force Awakens. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, grandiosity yeah. to spare. It's just problems with story logic and, yeah, I, like I said, that thing with Captain Phasma, the thing that bothers me, 
aside from her just disappearing from the story is and yet I guess they say maybe I guess they maybe say in a line that she's all right because they have to have her in the next movie but I just that 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 was the one it's... wink that's the one wink and nod to the audience where I literally rolled my eyes in the theater or put him in the garbage compactor like ugh, no but then like since Just she no. does but then since she doesn't even appear again it's like wait did they murder her <laughs> yeah i mean that was what was going to happen to our heroes in a new hope if r2 hadn't stopped the the thing from compressing them right yeah or maybe i don't know i guess didn't they i i kind of read somewhere that even though you're led to believe boba fett dies in return of the jedi in like one of the expanded books or something he gets out yeah like anybody who cares, cares. yeah sure I don't know. But anyway, Star Wars Force Awakens, it sucks now, so it's a... Uh, <laughs> Would you really say it sucks? No. <laughs> I still think it's a decent movie. I just... Uh, you know, I, I don't love it. I, that's all I'll say about it. I We've done a complete turnaround. We hate it now. It's like... You know what it is? It's Worse like, than The Phantom Menace. If you... You get a love letter from somebody, and it's filled with a lot of passion and good intentions... But then you read certain things that make you go... Punctuation huh. errors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a fragment sentence. Subject-verb uh, agreement. <laughs> you, you don't put your comma, comma uses. This should be a colon, not a semicolon. You, it's a love letter that you need to have a red pen <laughs> to uh, mark up. <laughs> and you give it back to your student and say, eh, it's a B. I give it a C. Ah, right. okay. All right, so let's get on to uh, our trusty old segment, the two-minute movie mile. Yay! Hey, where we talk about the movies that we have watched in the past uh, time since we have recorded, and we each get two minutes to talk about our movies, and uh, it seems that despite having a lot of time over the Christmas break, Andrew uh, slouched off, and... Um, Certainly, yes. Yes, and uh, he... So I have to kind of once again take up the mantle of seeing too many movies. Oh, <laughs> poor baby. All right, let's get on with it. You All go right. first. One, two, three, go. Krampus. Okay, Krampus. Yes. Is uh, it good? Uh, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> that's my word for it. Uh, now it's another. It's a Christmas themed horror film, or is it horror Christmas film? It's kind of like a horror comedy. It starts off more like a comedy, and then it becomes a horror movie as it goes along. I mean, obviously, the director, Michael Doherty, who previously did uh, Trick or Treat, is a huge Joe Dante fan. Okay. He worships at the altar of gremlins. Um, there's even a sequence in the movie where I guess I could call them little CGI gingerbread men All attack right. a guy in his kitchen, and it feels like a scene out of gremlins. Huh. Like, directly. Um it was basically, this movie, it was something I expected, but I hoped to get a little bit more out of it, because the trailer was very impressive. Um, it's like, oh, okay, we have the, the 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 crappy family around Christmas who all treat each other pretty badly, and let's see how, uh, you know, this kid wishes for, you know, I wish my family were like how it used to be, and instead of Santa Claus, they get a giant goat monster who... Uh, or goat demon or whatever with his minions to attack the family during a huge blizzard. That's not what I wished for at all. It's on. Yeah. It's kind of like, I guess right now it's funny that we have the hateful eight, which is also a movie about 
uh, a lot of danger during a blizzard. This is like, but it's for kids. That's the thing, ultimately. It's not, maybe some adults might get into it, but I just, it wasn't that scary. Like, I felt like it could have gone further. And I think part of the problem, too, for me with this movie is that I didn't really care about half of the characters. They're painted as, like, uh, rednecks, in part. Uh, David Koechner is one of these characters. Um, now, it doesn't say it has a lot of imagination. I just wish that he swung a little bit farther. Time. For the fences. Okay. Um, so, Andrew, uh, let's get you going a little bit. So, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I watched It's a Wonderful Life again. My so, yearly uh, viewing of It's a Wonderful Life. You talked about this on one of our very first podcasts. You right. can listen to that either on episode... It's either two or three. Every or season, I'm going to talk about this around this time. So yeah, why not? We'll see. We'll see what I learn each time. Well, uh, here's I'm... what I learned this time from It's a Wonderful Life. I real I realized this might be obvious. It might be not. Frank Capra really cares about all of his characters, and even I mean, even Mr. Potter. Yes. <laughs> but the way how so? But even the most minor characters. I re- the character who struck <clears throat> me this time was the bank examiner. Hmm. He shows up. In the middle of the film, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta inspect the books," yeah. and you know he's all cranky. And he's like, and because you know he's working on Christmas Eve. Nobody wants to do that. And, sure. You know, and he's really, uh, <laughs> and he's really just kind of, uh, kind of sour. And you see him again at the end of the film when, in George Bailey's house. Yeah. Uh, you know where he's about where everybody's about to arrest him, mm-hmm. but then he comes back and he said. He comes uh, back, to, you know, when George Bailey's getting all the money, and he puts money in, and you see he developed just a little bit. But it, but it's, but that's funny because like the ev- the whole vision didn't happen to the bank examiner; it happens to Jimmy Stewart. I know, but even he, he like I get what you're saying. Even what happened? Even what happened around? Like the script even left a little room for a character as small as that to get a little bit of an arc. That, that shows like, a filmmaker who cares. Yeah. Like if you, it's one thing to get the major characters right, but if you can make the minor characters have a little bit of dimension, then you've done something. Yeah. Um, and every character gets a little arc like that, even if it's not obvious. I mean, Bert the Cop and Ernie, you see what happens to them when they, in that alternate universe, and you, and you feel happy for them when they're back to normal. It's great. Yeah. There you go. Okay, time. All right. Um, Your turn. Go. Uh, the big short. Um, I when I was seeing Star Wars again, uh, a few friends of mine were in the line. They were going to see the big short. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I guess they were seeing the adult film. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I, you guys go be a bunch of nerds. We're gonna go see Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a uh, kind of like an Oscar-y type contender possibly although it doesn't come from an oscar director this is directed by adam mckay who is known for making anchorman and talladega nights and other will ferrell movies he also helped on the script to ant-man so he's a little bit now into the marvel universe but this is very much unlike other movies he's made before this is even though at times it's a very dark comedy it, it's basically a movie about the financial collapse, right. but it's from the point of view of this hand, this handful of of money people, like people worked at like hedge funds and like kind of like, I, I want to say they, they didn't really work at banks. They worked at like institutions where 
they worked for people who made a lot of money. They did all the bundling of the, <clears throat> the bad loans. And no, well, no, but these characters saw, they kind of predict, they sort of suddenly saw the signs that there was going to be a collapse, while other people were like, no, the housing market is great. What are you talking about? And these people, like Christian Bale plays this guy who's like this super weird nerdy guy who's like, no, the, the housing bubble, it's going to collapse. You should bet all your money on it. So that's what it's about. It's about these guys who decide, all right, let's bet gamble on the collapse of the finance of the the economy. So as you can imagine, Yay! it's yeah, it's very dark in that way. But at times it's very funny. Steve Carell is fantastic in the movie. He's very animated. It's shot a lot like an Oliver Stone movie. Hmm. It jumps around a little bit in images. Uh, I would suggest it, but you'll leave really angry. Done. Uh, yeah. There's All more right. to say about that, but whatever. One movie for me. One okay. More. All right. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Oh, oh well, let me time you. Sorry. Yeah. That, that's that's a key thing. I can't do your job, Jack. I can't count 120 seconds in my head while listening to you. So go. Uh, Murmur of the Heart. Oh, I I like I love this movie. I like it too. It's the story of it's a adorable movie about incest. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's it's about a uh, French boy growing up in Dijon. His name is Laurent, uh, and he it's basically about his sexual awakening. Mm. For uh, and and the I mean it's I, not I, all I, about incest. I should make no. that clear. Uh, but there is an element involving his mother. Right. And... The main thread of the film. The film seems plotless, but the main thread, if there is one, is this is this attraction he has to his mother. Yes. And what I like about this film is that it doesn't really judge him for it. Yeah. It, you just take it as a given. And when he and when he sees his mother uh, having an affair with another man, he gets upset. And mm -hmm. uh, he and you know he's alone with her in a hotel. And it's not. And it's not as if there's like all this tension and everything's super serious. It's just the way he feels. Yeah. And there are also other sexual episodes in his life there's when he loses his virginity in a brothel and when he and you know his brothers measuring their penises. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> which is a thing that brothers do apparently in France. In France, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was that time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but all sorts of little episodes like that. And I do love the final scene of that film where he comes back to the hotel room. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, he finds and the rest of his family is there, and they're and they're wondering why he's why he's been out so late and why he's w walking barefoot through the hotel. Yeah, and all of a sudden they all have the realization that he's he's just had sex with somebody, and they all just start laughing. Yeah, they almost kind of mock him for it. It's like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but, I. No, but it has them. an entire. And then, and then they a, all just sit down and have breakfast, and they just have a good laugh over it. It has a light air. Yeah, about it's very it. light. Time. Yeah, actually, I think Zizek, uh, when he yeah, had he, his little bit about the Criterion Closet, he's yeah. like, "This is a very nice movie about a boy wanting to have sex with his mother." And <laughs> <laughs> now you sound like Zizek with braces. <laughs> All right, all right. Uh, so let let me get on with what I have to do. Ready, set, go. Uh, the Silence of the Sea, or um, Silence. Yeah, or as it's called in France, uh, Le Silence de la Mer. Right. Um, this is a uh, speaking of French. This is another French film uh, set in World War Two. Um, it involves a uh, an uncle and uh, his niece. He's an older guy. And they just kind of live at home. And during the war, there is uh, 
they they sometimes have to take in soldiers who stay like in their barn or something but there's this um lieutenant who comes and he's kind of wounded in some way not terribly but he can't go back on the field so he spends time in their house i guess this is something that french people were supposed to do even for the germans at the period right. but they have this kind of silent resistance that they do like the german keeps on talking to them but they don't say anything back they're just sitting there and you actually like they almost don't say anything through the whole movie like the guy the, the uncle has narration throughout and it's an unusual film because it's most of it takes place inside their house and it's the german kind of showing that at times he's you know he has a brutal way of thinking, but he also is trying to open himself up to, like, the French culture and stuff, and he seems like a very intelligent person. Um, and, you know, he kind of talks about himself, and he talks about all these things, and I don't know if he, if he exactly endears himself to them, but it's it's almost more about his growth than their acceptance of him. It gets better and more intriguing as it goes along, Um and uh, it comes from this French director who I love named Jean-Pierre Melville. That's not his real last name. He took it from Herman Melville. Because um, <laughs> that's what you do in France. He wasn't using it. No. And he fought in the resistance, so he show has a bit of insight into the process. Time. I guess. Okay. All right. Go. Uh, Carol. Don't let your heart sink away. Uh, that's an old song. Um <laughs> That was awkward. Um, this is a, uh, speaking of period pieces, this is a movie that's set in the early 50s. Um, actually, some of it like takes place, it seems like, around here. A little bit of it's in like New Jersey, but it's mostly in New York. It's about a um, this woman who works in a department store, played by Rooney Mara, and Kate Blanchett is this uh, housewife who, uh, she's actually kind of divorced or separated from her husband, but she has a little girl. Um, but Kate Blanchett and Remar see each other in a store. It's like Christmas time. She's mm -hmm. shopping. And they just make a kind of connection with each other. And they uh, very slowly start to fall in love. And uh, But the husband, uh, I think is played by Kyle Chandler, he doesn't like it. <laughs> so, well, of course not. Well, no. It's early 1950s. And he, he can't even say for, for sure that something's going on. But he just sees Rooney Mara, like, Kate Blanchett invites her over, and he's just like, what is she like doing this. here? I don't like yeah. the look of this. He's, he plays, like, very much the uptight uh, guy. Um, I, what I liked about the movie, of course, are the performances. You can't go wrong with Kate Blanchett, and Rooney Mara does a really terrific job. Uh, if I had an issue with this movie, it was that at the director, it's like he's dealing with very intimate, almost melodramatic subject here. Like the the two women go off on like they're like they kind of just go away for a little bit because the daughter is being taken away from Kate Blanchett and like a custody thing, and they start to have more of a romance blooming. But the way it's filmed, it's like things are at a distance in a way. I just I couldn't get close enough to it. Like your heart wants to break for this couple, and I just didn't quite get there. Hmm. So that was the one issue I had. But it is it's not I, an intimate portrait of a no. Couple. It's beautiful, but time. There's a word that I it's want. It's beautiful, but uh, it's beautiful, but uh, maybe he died while he was writing it. <laughs> what was his last word? He was in the kingdom of. Uh, All right. Next film. All right. Ready, set, go. Uh, the prize fighter and the lady. Um, now this we talk about uh, 
old movies. This is a uh, this goes back a ways. I'd love to see a compilation of titles that are the blank and the blank. Yeah, like the seashell and the clergyman, or the the, uh, the <laughs> cowboy and the snowman, the sound and the fury. Right there we go. Yeah, um, this uh, I went back uh, to uh, one of my big crushes, Myrna Loy. Right. Um, this is never a, fails. No, uh, and she's uh, actually the love interest here. It's a boxing melodrama. I don't know if the name Max Bear means, means rings a bell. Seems familiar. He was a pretty famous boxer in the 30s, uh, apparently. He act, he acts in this movie, and he's he's re- really good in the movie because he doesn't have to stretch too far. Right. And yet he has good chemistry with Myrna Loy. He he um he well ha- their their sort of meet cute is that he she runs off the road while they're passing by each other, <laughs> and he comes and brings her back to her place and. Uh, then she goes to see him <laughs> fight competing boxers. No, she, yeah, Myrna Loy in the ring. That's a pretty good movie. Um, yeah, it's um, like it, very quickly she decides to marry him, even though it doesn't quite make sense. Um, but because Max Bear really sells the emotions of this guy, and um, he actually just sometimes lets his the camera just stay on his face. It kind of works well. It. It seems like the final fight, it's fairly clear what the trajectory will be. Like, because he has ups and downs. He's kind of a philanderer on Myrna Loy, which, you don't, you don't get any sympathy from me in that department. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's an example of, like, kind of like a prototype of the boxing melodrama. Like, I have to think Stallone might have seen this movie and maybe got a little bit of inspiration for Rocky. Not bad. Worth checking out. Time. Yeah. Rocky never cheated on anybody. No, that's true. No, that I'm not saying. Rocky all might of have it. been a lot more interesting if there was a if there was an uh, if there was a uh, a movie where he cheated on Adrian. What do you think? Uh, it would not be in character, not in the slightest. Yeah. Do you think he would make mistakes? It would have made interesting. He would have people, had the thing run is into, though into problems. In he marriage. would have had he would have had to really work for. He would have really had to work himself back from that. You're not saying. just for Adrian, but for the audience. For us, yeah. Yeah, because that's... Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly a that lot of, would have been... You know, the audience would feel betrayed, too. But, a lot you know, of people look at Rocky... Still think about that. Rocky is kind of a romance movie that happens to be about boxing, in a way. Like, it's so? about... Well, ultimately, what's the very... You know, yeah, the climax, he's fighting Apollo Creed, but at the end, the most important thing is that Adrian comes and, you know, they have that moment together. I don't know. I always thought I always thought the big thing about about well, the first Rocky. We're talking about the first one, right? Yeah. I, I always thought that the big deal about that was that even though Rocky, spoiler, even though Rocky doesn't win that fight, uh, really, still, after still, forty years, you're gonna say spoiler. I don't know who's listening. There could be like ten year old kids who haven't seen anything. <laughs> I'm glad that you listened. We've had to this a, fight before. I know. I know. All right. I'm gonna keep having it with you. But okay. but I always thought that the I thought the main point was that you know even though he didn't win he had he had laid it all out there and he and he had he hadn't held back and you know it was close yeah and that's what the whole point of the second one was it was about Apollo Creed trying to prove himself too yeah. in a weird way yeah but Rocky aside all right let's got... get back to the movies sorry <laughs> sorry about that all right we have a lot of period pieces to go through so let's keep going go um Vera Drake. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie. It's a British film. Now we go to merry old England uh, for a 
very very sad movie about um well it was like in 1950 in england when uh uh, the abortion was illegal, and you had a woman like... Back in the days of Village of the Damned. Mmm. That's true. Aha! Well, uh, is it weird to bring up? All right, but the point is, this char- this character, Vera Drake, she's just, on the surface, she's just like a, you know, a happy, ordinary housewife with kids, uh, grown kids, but, you know, she's kind of, she's like in her 50s, maybe even early 60s. She's like a little, little lady in a way. But on the side, she has this whole thing where she goes and helps out women in quote you know their little problem right and has like a like a uh like a pump that she uses or like kind of a syringe spoken like a true gentleman yes and um but of course tragedy but but when what happens though is that one of the women that she helps out gets uh sick and you know the cops come and ask what happened and all points lead back to Vera drake and you know she gets arrested and you just the thing that's great about this film. I might, I brought Mike Lee before. He directed Secrets and Lies and uh, uh, Mr. Turner. Um, he's great at stripping away melodrama, and you just have human beings up there who are very naturalistic and having to deal in, you know, even the cops in this movie. They're not exactly bad people, but they're no. that they have their job to do, and it's like you see them. Are, you know they have to Everybody arrest Drake. Everybody has depth. There are no stereotypes. No, yeah, and it's like there are no easy villains. It's like there's this, you know, when they first the cops come to the house, like they're ha- like Veer Drake and her family are having a celebration. And it's just oh, it's such a sad scene, such a sad time. Movie. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. I have a couple more. All right, ready, All right. set, go. Speaking of uh, sad things, uh, concussion. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. We know what this is about. Well, do, do what you, is how does Will Smith do? Will Smith is the reason to see the movie. I mean, he may get an Oscar nomination. It might happen. Um, I I wish he had been surrounded by a better movie. Oh, it's one of those cases. It's here's the problem. And you know, I just talked about The Big Short a few minutes ago. That's a film that has uh, about four, five or six main characters. And you're able to follow them all, and it sets up all of which are played by great actors. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, some of them are pretty not as actors. well known, but well, yeah, Brad Pitt's only pretty good. Um, but the <laughs> point is, that's a movie where they take a big subject like the financial collapse, and you're able to see a lot of different points about it, and you know how it could have gone wrong, and how what people were seeing, and how it, money, it, how Americans yeah. were all that. And in a good film like that, when you're talking about a big subject, the yeah. big subject is the background. Yes. And the story is the way by which you understand yeah. it. Whereas here, Will Smith's character is not terribly interesting. Like, he's a do- he's a pathologist who discovers in a football player this thing called CTE, which he actually kind of diagnoses, which is that, in short, football killed him. You know, because he banged his head around for years and years. Head, repeated head trauma. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, of course, is, you know, a fa- a, an important subject. It right. basically changes everything about the, one of the biggest things in this country. Yeah. Football. I wish that there were other, like, characters than just him. Like, it's about his struggle to show the NFL, no, this is a real thing. It needs to be talked about. And, of course, they try to stamp it down. He gets to be all heroic. But he doesn't have that much dimension. It spends time in his love life. It's That's not that great. I wish we had. I wish I had seen more things in this story because there's a lot of depth here. If you want to check out the subject, watch a Frontline documentary about this. Time. Instead, uh, went one second over. 
Oh. All right. That's the second off the rest of your life. That's the sound of me blowing my brains out over the two-minute movie mile. I'm still alive, folks. Go. Uh, the Devil, probably. <laughs> yes, that is a movie title. Very good. I'm gonna have to put that one up on the board. <laughs> no, it's the Devil, comma probably. That's it's a real title. Of oh, a I movie. believe you. Yeah. Uh, or Le Diable Probablement. Uh, I probably mispronounced that. It's a what's French... it about? Once again, we go back to France. Um, have you heard of the director Robert Bresson? No. All right. He uh, made a not that many films, maybe about ten or twelve films in his life. Um, he is kind of the one of the stereotypical directors who directed their actors repeatedly, like multiple, multiple takes. But the key thing for him was to get them to a point where they seemed like they stripped away any kind of like drama. Like they were just very just. Eh, I'm here. I'm very plain spoken. Uh, now, sometimes that can be really fat, really fascinating. This kind of super stripped down approach. He made a lot, a number of films which I really admire. Um, this, I call this kind of a minor work. He made movies like A Man Escaped, uh, Pickpocket, uh, Al Hazard Balthazar. Hope oh I'm yeah, pronouncing that right. You've heard of that? No. Okay, good. Um, all right. This is a I'm very. I'm just trying to make you look good. Thank you. Um, it's a pretty. This is also another depressing movie. I watched a lot of depressing movies the past couple weeks. Um, maybe it's to counter to counteract Christmas. the effect of the holidays. Yeah, I'm running out of time to talk about this. In short, it's about a bunch of like young people in France who are kind of aimless, and one of them is super depressed. It's a it's a look at depression, I guess. The first 15, 20 minutes of this movie are just I could not get into it. As it went along, I got into it a little bit more. Um, but I don't, shouldn't, don't watch it unless you've seen other Brisson movies. Time. There. I really reviewed that movie in 30 seconds. Well done. <laughs> you pulled it out. Oh, God. All right, well, I have one more movie, and All it right. will be of interest to you. One more movie. Yeah. Go. Picnic at Hanging Rock. All right. I watched, uh, this movie in part, well, because you watched it, but also I just, uh, I was very curious to check it out. Um, here's what's interesting. Um, so I know, like, you know, there are many theories about like that you could have watching this movie. Yeah. About how the girls disappear, like you know, and, and it's funny because it Weir, runs the gamut. Anything you can think of, people like, have thought of. I've thought of I thought of aliens, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I mean, it could also just be something as simple as they fell down a hole. Yeah. The weird thing in the movie, though, is that moment where they disappear because yeah. they're with the other because the other girl is with them. That's and, what makes it so and she's weird. Like, and she's like, "Oh no, oh no!" Ah! Like, you why see, does she freak out like that? I know. And then later, the uh, the teacher disappears. Yeah. Well, and then the, you're like, "What I, was that all about?" Well, they finally find spoiler for those who didn't see the movie. Um, they do find one of the girls. Yes, and that makes it even crazier. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm suspect, I, I have a suspicion it was aliens, because, like, they probably got abducted, one of them was given back, and, again, that's oh, just me. we don't me. need this one. I mean, that was the author's intention, though, like, the author of the book. But what I liked a lot about the movie, though, not is that... that it was aliens, but that you didn't Well, but it's about a lot of different things, yeah. though. It's not about just one thing. In a lot of ways, it's kind of about the, how simply this uh, institution can crumble this school because yeah. you have like this headmaster who 
you know, she's very stern, but you know, your your sympathies kind of go back and forth about her because she's so tough, especially on there's that one character who um like she's kind of like an introvert, yeah. you could say. Like I thought she couldn't speak at all, but then she speaks in that one scene. Um, it's a restrained feeling throughout the movie, but there's a lot of great filmmaking here. Yes. Uh, Hopefully that sums it up. Yeah, I'm glad you saw that. I am too. I mean, it's, it's, I'm interested, I'm glad, I'm, I'm fascinated that you liked it so much just because it's a very kind of poetic movie in yeah. a lot of ways. I, it's like, it's a lot it's, like a, a, a movie that I know you haven't seen called La Ventura, which is also about a disappearance, which does not get solved. Right. Um, I mean, but, I could see why that movie did not. Uh, it's got a cult following, but on the DVD, this is just a side note, not really part of the review. Peter Weir said he, when he was at one of the first screenings of the movie, somebody just got up at the end and was like, why did I just waste my time with this movie? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people conventionally want to find out the solving the mystery. Right. But, but, I think, but I think a lot of the filmmaking is meant to make you forget about that. Right, but... <laughs> but you know, picnic and hang rock. They just they it starts with that very simple mystery that yeah. we know is not going to get solved. Yeah. But then they manage to deepen the mystery even further with yes. every clue we get. Oh god! And yeah. you're just and I don't know what it is about that scene with the girl screaming. Yeah. But it's you feel it, that. it has a hypnotic quality because yeah. it comes after like everybody's asleep. And all of a sudden, the girls just get up, and it feels like, wait, what's going on here? Yeah, I know. Like, we're, I know like we've when gone. You wake up, and you and you, you can't think fast. You, you're like you're all torpid and everything. I know we've gone over two minutes, but I just I had to Take say that last little bit. All right, all right. So that's, that's all the movies. Movie mile. I mean, I saw. I mean, I could say I saw Hateful Eight again, but I don't have that many things to say right now. <laughs> we talked about it for two hours. No, I think that's I'll, more than two minutes. Yeah, if I see it a fourth time, then maybe I'll talk about it again. The two-hour movie mile. <laughs> There's an idea. You have to talk about a movie for two hours. Ooh, marathon it, man. No, well that's. Hey, you have to talk we... about the movie for longer than it was. <laughs> yeah, we have to pull next. A... Fanny and Alexander. Okay. All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to conclude our 2015 movie list. So stay tuned for that. 